Okay. Good morning. Let me begin with a word of prayer and uh, and we'll look into our material this morning. Father, thank you for this time. We uh, thank you that you have chosen us despite our unworthiness before you. We ask you to help us this morning to to be able to think properly about your word and so that we can interpret it better, that we can read it uh, more effectively and apply it to our lives in the way that you want us to. We uh, need your grace and so we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us in that way. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. May you use this time to strengthen our resolve to do more for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Been talking uh, about the need for interpretation, the, a need for a um, specific interpretation with regard to our understanding of the scriptures and the difference between uh, whether we're going to understand the scriptures as they are to be interpreted or not is is our system of interpretation. So, so how, what system do we use to be able to understand? Uh, what the scriptures mean. This is going to this is going to determine how we're going to uh, evaluate different passages. So when we come to, I've mentioned this before, but the most uh, striking example is when we come to prophecy. If we come to prophecy and we think that there's a double fulfillment, then we're going to have different ideas as to what these things mean. If we try to just spiritualize the prophecy then uh, we won't think that they're still future or that they had already happened in the past. Rather, we'll think that it's just talking about believers uh, in general, the battle, the warfare that's going on. So we're going to look at some prophecy this morning in the morning service. And, uh, and we're going to look at it in regard to the end times, the battle of Armageddon. And, it, and if you have a different system of interpretation, a spiritualizing of the text, you're going to look at those texts and think of them as just there's a great battle between evil and good going on in the world. Okay, we we recognize that battle's going on. Um, the day of the Lord kind of idea. We see that as future, beginning at the tribulation and concluding with the kingdom. They see it more as people who who spiritualize the text. They see it more as just a battle between good and evil, something that's always going on, whether. Uh, whether you're in that time period or not. All right, so we're working through this study on dispensationalism. A dispensational, a dispensation is a period of time where God has revealed Himself in different ways and has expected something specific from humankind, and and they have failed in it. Uh, we currently are in the the dispensation, the time period, the era of grace. And uh, and we have a specific responsibility to obey the revelation, to accept it and believe God and His promises, specifically His Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And we will ultimately, okay, our the people in our time period ultimately will fail, and that will end in the the tribulation judgments. Okay, so each dispensation we said uh, ends with a climactic failure and a climactic judgment. Um, so that's how that one will end, and that will lead into the final dispensation, which is the one of the kingdom. Um, so the the things that set us apart as 
those who believe in dispensational theology from those who believe in uh, the main other system of interpretation is called covenant theology. The thing that sets us apart is uh, is whether or not we see a distinction between Israel and the church. Okay, uh, We believe that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. When God's talking about Israel in the Old Testament, He's not talking about us. He's given them specific commands and promises that He will fulfill with them. And those don't directly relate to us, only indirectly. Okay, so so those who who follow a covenant theology idea would say, okay, we are Israel as the church. We are spiritually Israel. So therefore, uh, those promises, those commands are for us. The the uh, the the third thing, actually, I'm skipping over the second because I'm going to come back to that. But the third thing is that we believe that the primary purpose of God is what to glorify Himself, His own glory, to magnify His own worth. Whereas those who follow covenant theology believe that the primary thing that God is doing is to redeem man. We do believe that is one of His purposes to save uh, a certain group of people, but, but His larger purpose is to bring glory to Himself. Now, the second one that I skipped over is that, that we believe in one single consistent system of interpretation, and that's what we're going to look at today. They see, as I mentioned earlier, a double system of interpretation. All right. So, um, what I'd like to do is review some principles from our How to Study the Bible class on interpretation, and uh, we'll, we'll run through these for this class, and then what I want to do is show you how that applies to, to dispensational uh, thinking or how we, we should take a look at the Scriptures. So let's begin by seeing why this is so important. Why is interpretation so important? Has uh, someone ever manipulated your words to make them mean what they really didn't mean? Where you made a statement and and they said, well, this is what you meant. And, and they twist your words to, to make them mean something that you never intended. Okay, uh, We hate being misinterpreted. And so, um, the example I used in, in this uh, class that we've had before is, is if you wrote a love letter to your sweetheart and you said something like, uh, I'm, I just love to drink coffee and uh, the only thing is I, I would really kill for a blueberry muffin right now. Hey, write this note, just kind of telling your sweetheart what's going on in your your your, your day, and and um, you know the the cops get a hold of this note somewhere down the road, and they're they're uh, they're doing some research in a uh, murder investigation, and they they bring you uh, bring bring them bef- bring you before them for this charge, and they say we see you're uh, an avid drinker, and that uh, that you have motive to kill. And you say, wait a second, I never intended that. That's not what I meant. You need, you need to read the whole thing in its context, see what I was talking about, who I was writing to. Uh, you can't just take my words, take little parts out of my words that I like to drink and I would kill for something. You can't just take those things and, and make them mean whatever you want to. I mean, when when people do that to you, that's kind of a silly example, but but you feel violated, don't you? You feel cheated. Like, you didn't give me a fair shot. 
And uh, why do we think God would feel any differently about His Word when we take it out of context? That's why we have to be so careful with this idea of proof texting. Okay, proof texting is basically we come to the Scriptures with a certain idea of what we want it to say, and then we try to find one verse that helps us. Okay, I mentioned this example last week where we have to seek the welfare of the city. Okay, if we're going to interpret that verse correctly, then we need to understand the context. We need to understand who's being talked to here. We can't just take that and make it mean the same thing it meant for Israel as it meant for us. And that's very dangerous when we do that to Scripture. And so we, we can't misinterpret God when we come to the Scriptures. Not an easy task, though. And that's why it's going to re- require that we work at it. So, what I'm trying to show you is that the process of interpretation is very important to our understanding of Scripture, this process that we, we go through. Um, the reason that we don't think about interpretation that much is because most of our interpretation happens instantaneously. Okay, We, we just do it automatically. That's because we live in a context where when you say something, I can interpret it immediately because I am contemporary to your time and I'm local. I'm in your, within your culture, so I understand what you're, you're talking about immediately. So, for example, if you told me to go to the kitchen and get a spoon and, and a, a Diet Pepsi or something like that, I wouldn't have to go, okay, what do you mean by go? What type of transportation do you expect me to use to get to the kitchen? Okay, what do you mean by kitchen exactly? Uh, what do you mean by, you know, we, we know what all these words mean instantaneously. We don't have to think about it. But the problem with, with interpreting the Scriptures is we are not contemporary and we're not local. How long ago was the last Scripture written? Does anyone have any idea roughly? Yeah, close to 2,000 years, right? In the 90s was when John wrote the book of Revelation. And so we're we're 1,900 and some years removed from the last writing of Scripture. So we're not contemporary to their time, and we're not local. It was not written in America, right? It's not written in modern United States. It's written in a completely different culture. And in fact, the, the Scriptures as a whole were written over how many years? They were written over 1,500 years. Okay, so... So even the the culture of Abraham compared to the culture of Luke are completely different. They they live in two completely different contexts, and uh, and so we have to to recognize that we are. It's not it's not instantaneous. Uh, it's not instant, instantaneous interpretation, and you have to recognize that even in our, our culture. Even though you're contemporary with with the people to whom you speak, there are times when you still have to interpret things correctly. Uh, you could actually misinterpret them. So that not all interpretation is instantaneous in our culture when we talk to each other. So that makes the Bible uh, especially difficult because it's in a different time and a different place. And that means it's going to require work. So, what is the goal of our interpretation. Our goal is to understand the author's intended meaning. 
Our goal is to understand the author's intended meaning. You would hope that 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 people would do the same with what you say and with what you write. Okay, again, we we get frustrated when people uh, misinterpret us. Um, let's let's just take that example where the the cops have you before them. There's a whole room full of investigators, uh, detectives, and they go down the line and say, okay, what do you think he means by this note? And the first guy says one meaning, and the next guy says another meaning. They go down all the way around the room, and they all give different meanings of what they think you said. How many of those people are right? How many? All, can all of them? Exactly, yeah. Could be one. Could be, there could be a couple that agree, but it could be none. Which one is the right interpretation? What they think about your note? Or what you intended when you wrote it? Okay, there's only one intended meaning. Now, this may be a little bit concerning to you because okay, we have you, you've heard passages preached uh, and they've been interpreted differently, right? You've heard different well-intentioned pastors speak on the same passage and come up with a different understanding of what it means. And so this may be concerning to you. But um, the reason that different interpretations come to the same passage is because people play by different rules. We have to be able to play by the, the same rules in order to come up with the correct interpretation. So that's what we're going to try to look at today. I want to show you what I believe is the proper way of interpreting Scripture. And uh, there still will be differences when we come to the Scripture because we, we are not perfectly holy, we're not perfectly wise. Um, but, but, um, but ultimately, it's not based on, on our opinion Okay, we, that's why we have to include God in our study of Scripture. We need to recognize that He is the one who, who knows the intended meaning. So we, we seek God's help as we do this. Um, and so our job ultimately is to determine the author's intended meaning because the author's intended meaning is God's intended meaning. And that's what we're looking for Okay, when we come to the Scripture. All right, most important thing to interpreting Scripture is context. Okay, just like with your note to your sweetheart, the most important thing is context. If they just take out little snippets of it, the little sound bites, that's why politicians, you know, when they speak, they often get little sound bites taken out and used against them. But they they often say, but you need to understand the whole thing. Okay? Understand what the questioning was at me. See these reporters are often just looking for one thing that will just really stick out and make a make a news item. But the, but the key is context. And and the same is true with the Scriptures. Alright, so there's three things that we need to understand when it comes to context. First, all communication has historical context. Okay, This, this method of interpretation works with every single type of, of understanding uh, of someone's language. Okay, all communication has historical context. This is, in other words, this is not a special decoding ring for the Bible. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying we speak in historical context. We we understand what's gone on in our 
in, in our context. And so there's a historical context. Secondly, there's a literal context. A literal context. Okay, we, we'll, we'll get to what that means here. I'm going to break down these three, three items, so we'll see what this means as we go through. And then thirdly, there's a grammatical. Okay, back to English grammar. It comes down to English grammar. Very important to, to understanding the Scripture. So let's look at this first one. That is historical context. Every book of the Bible was written at a particular time, place, in a given culture, and with a specific purpose. So if we want to understand the Scriptures as God intended them, then we have to understand first the, 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 the communication in terms of its historical context. Okay, So first, time. Now, I already mentioned the Bible is not all produced at once. It took place over 1,500 years. And the last one was 1,900 years ago. So, in order to achieve the, the, the purpose of the understanding, we have to take the book that we're looking at and put it in context of its specific time. That's why we can't take Revelation, for example, and try to bring it all the way contemporary and say, well, what John really meant by this was he didn't mean horses. He meant tanks or something like that, right? John didn't know anything about tanks. Um, so, so, so we have to uh, interpret in terms of its historical context. Um, we need to think about how important interpretation is uh, in the middle of changing times. I mean, can you think of words that have had their meanings changed or, or a word. Think of one word that, that's meanings changed since you were a kid. Can you think of any? Bad. Hey, bad, right? <laughs> bad now means good if you use it uh, in a certain context, right? Some people still mean bad by it. But yeah, you're right. Um, I don't think that was ever the case when when uh, when we were kids. But that... Um, that when we said bad, we actually meant good. Okay, can you think of another one? Wicked. Wicked. All right. They're reverse meanings. They're they're turning into the opposite. Um, you remember what was that? Man. Yeah, yeah. Means uh, friend now or or something. Yeah, it can it can take on. Yeah, can take on different meanings. Chill. Chill. Yeah. What did what? Let's just uh, let's tease that one out, Mark. What did chill mean when you were a kid? Uh, All right, meant cold, right? And someone said uh, you need to chill down. You would think, okay, it must be summer, and we're talking about getting colder, right? But what does it mean now, or what can it mean now? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Keep your keep your temperament down before you uh, get out of hand. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, with all these words that we've just mentioned, uh, there seems to have been one general meaning of it before, but now there's multiple meanings, at least, and still some of those same old meanings as well. And so, the determination, how we determine which one the, the, the person who's speaking that word means, is we have to look at it in the context. Okay? So, um, someone asks you, what should you do with this dessert? A person responds, you need to chill. 
okay, you need to chill it or something like that, then you would understand you need to put it in the freezer or something like that. But if, if someone said, what did you do to my dessert? And then you would respond, well, you need to chill. Like, settle down. It's okay. All right, so the, the context is, is key. And that's what you should do when you're reading the Scriptures. And that's why I think it's so important to be reading the Scriptures for yourself uh, on, on your own, through, working through the Scriptures in large chunks, like we're, what we're doing with the Bible reading plan. We're working through the entire New Testament, all of Psalms, and half of the Old Testament this year. And we'll do the other half next year, do Psalms again and the, and the New Testament again. The reason that's so important is because we tend to think of Scriptures in a microscopic way and sometimes we can miss the point. We take, look, take a broader look, step back, look at it in a bigger chunk, think about it, what it means in its context. Alright, so first time. Second, place. We need to know something about the geography that we're reading about. Okay, What would the impact of a plane crash be in downtown Chicago compared to the, a plane crash in the hills of Tennessee. Okay? It would be very different, right? The, the impact would be completely different. Um, and so, the same thing is true about the Scriptures. Um, we need to understand what the, what's going on in the text that we're reading. And so, you may need to look at some helps for this type of thing. Maybe a Bible atlas or uh, good, good study Bibles help in this way. If you have that sort of thing, those are those often help tell you uh, what's going on in that specific uh, topography. Third, culture. Okay, this all has to do with historical context. What was the culture? <clears throat> There's a different culture in Paul's day. There's a Roman culture. What 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 was Paul talking about when he said, "I appeal to Caesar"? I mean, we would never expect Abraham to do something like that, right? So. So there's different contexts culturally as well. And then purpose. This one is a little bit more difficult unless you understand it. And that is, you need to understand what the author's overall intention is for his writing. Okay, some authors state it clearly. Like John, John 20:31. These are written that you might believe that what? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, he specifically states what his purpose is for writing the Gospel of John. These are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you read through that Gospel, what you're going to find is he gives lots of evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. Lots of miracles. Lots of, you know, even before Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead, he says something like, um, God, I know that you always hear me, but I don't speak to you now just for myself. Um, for my own accord or something like that, but, but for those who hear me so that they will believe. Okay, He's trying to show them. John's showing that, look at this. Even uh, you look at Thomas when he uh, fails to believe that Jesus actually died, Okay, that, that or they actually rose again. He's like, I need to see the nail prints, right? And when Jesus actually shows to them, them to Thomas, what does Thomas, how does he respond? Right, my Lord and my God. So it's as if John is saying to us in his gospel, come and see, come and see for yourself what Jesus is all about. So when you understand that, that larger purpose of what John is doing, then you can take the smaller section and see, okay, this is where 
he's showing all of his miracles. Okay, he's he's showing all of his miracles to the Pharisees, and inside that one you have uh, you have this conversation with Nicodemus, and then so you move into smaller context. What is the author trying to say within his specific context? Now sometimes the author doesn't state it as explicitly as John does, and so you have to to um, to get that from basically repeated words, repeated ideas, um, things like that. That we uh, we went through some of those things when we did our class on how to study the Bible. All right. So um, when we're dealing with a New Testament epistle or Old Testament prophet, we need to ask things like, all right, who, who's who's the author writing to? Who is he writing to? Um, are there any problems that he's trying to address? What is he trying to prove? Ask questions like that and see if you can answer them from the text. What are the repeated themes or, or ideas? What are the repeated phrases that keep coming up in the prophecy or in the gospel or something like that? When we're dealing with nar- narratives, okay, we're dealing with a narrative on uh, Sunday evenings, Genesis, even Acts on Wednesday evenings uh, is also a narrative. So when we're dealing with those, we need to to see what what did the author include? I mean, there's usually large chunks of time that they cover. Why did they include these specific events? Why not other events? Why did they exclude some other ones? And this helps us understand what their intention is. Um, For example, uh, the the book of Chronicles, which was all really one book. It's now split into two, but, but originally it was one book put together and it was to uh, show that that David was a great king, and so it doesn't put the story about David and Bathsheba in there. It, it purposely leaves it out uh, in order to show that that David was a great king, and um, and yet other other passages like Samuel, obviously his intention was not to show that, but to show him that he was really just you know another man. Those don't contradict each other; they simply have different purposes. All right, so that means we should read the Bible more like you read the newspaper or a novel rather than an encyclopedia. And this is not easy, okay, because we have been, I'll speak for myself, I have been trained to to read the Bible as a spiritual encyclopedia where I go to a specific text to, to just grab hold of it. And I say text, I mean like one verse. Grab hold of it and that's mine. And and I'm going to make that mean, okay, here is one that I used when I was young. Okay, it was, I was trying to decide whether or not um, I should join the choir. I think I was about 13 years old at a church. And it was a good church. Um, I don't think they were dispensational in their understanding, um, but they were, but they exposed the scriptures. I mean, it wasn't like all topical messages type thing. So, so I, th- I think it was a pretty good church, but but I remember the verse that, that I came across in my Bible reading was Exodus 14.14. 14. It was, the Lord will fight for you and you will hold your peace. Okay, so, so basically when it comes to me singing, whether I should sing in the choir, don't worry about it. God's going to, to, to do the work for you kind of idea. And uh, if I would have understood that more like I read a novel, I mean, whoever reads a novel like we tend to read the Scriptures, looking for one verse to jump out at us. You don't read a novel and say, oh, look at this line. And and, uh, what does he really mean by this? And I'm going to take this and apply it to myself. I mean, 
We, we don't do that. We don't do that when we read the newspaper. We don't break it down and, and, and try to discover the, you know, this, this one hidden text in here or something like that. And yet we tend to do that a lot when it comes to the Scriptures. We over-spiritualize it. So we have to be careful about that. All Scripture has a historical context. All communication has a historical context. So we need to understand Scripture in that light. So that means... Uh, wow, I'm way behind here. Sorry about that. So that means that a text can never mean what it never meant. That's the first principle of interpretation. A text can never mean what it never meant. All right. So all Scripture, all communication has historical context. It also has literary context or literal context. Um, that we need to understand that there are different literary types when we come to the Scriptures. Different literary types. There is a literary form. Okay, so when we come to uh, poetry in the scriptures, can you think of any books that are written in poetry? Or okay, the Psalms. Lots, of, lots of uh, Solomon's writings were written in poetry. David, um, as well. So you have you have poetry. You shouldn't expect that to read like or to be able to understand those like you read, uh, let's say, the the uh, gospels, the parables, or the epistles of of Paul or the Proverbs. They're, they're going to read differently. They're going to have a different flow. They're going to have a different structure. And so when it comes to those, you need to recognize they have different literary forms. Um, so that means when we come to... Let me just give you an example of this. When we come to narratives, we can't take those like commands uh, unless they're intended to be uh, used for more than for for more than just that original audience. For example, in Acts chapter one, the disciples are commanded to go back to Jerusalem. They're, they're command or they're supposed to stay there and and wait for for Christ to to give them the the word what to do next. Okay, but it doesn't tell us to do that. So we don't have a responsibility to take a trip to Jerusalem, right? We understand that, but but sometimes we can, in in that context, we understand it. But and sometimes we can take things out of narratives and we say, well, this has to apply to us as well, and so we have to um, have to recognize that. Um, let me give you an example of one of something from the epistles that does apply. Romans twelve one, that we ought to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is talking to whom? Specifically, who is he talking to? Okay, Romans, right? Book of Romans. He's speaking to Roman, but specifically he's talking to Roman believers. And so we can understand that that, that also has specific meaning and application for us as well. All right, so recognize the different literary forms and that will, um, again, a good study Bible will help you to see what, what different forms they have. Usually at the beginning of a study Bible, beginning of a book in the study Bible, it tells you what type of literary form. Okay, this is a this is prose or epistolary, you know, letter type um, uh, format or writing. Then, or you have poetry or narrative or prophecy, those types of things. You can see that before you get into the book. Secondly, we need to ter interpret every biblical text in light of its literary device. <clears throat> okay, every type of human communication uses figures of speech. 
Okay, so one might say, my mouth is on fire if he just tasted something very hot. Okay, he didn't really literally mean that he had fire in his mouth. <clears throat> uh, Jesus says in John 10:7, I am the gate. Does he mean that he swivels on a little post and people come in and go out through him? No, he's speaking metaphorically. There's a figure of speech. We understand that. Um, so, literal interpretation takes into account people's figures of speech. What did they intend when they were saying that? When you said your mouth was on fire, you didn't mean that your mouth was literally on fire. But we understood what you were saying, that it was it was hot because of something that you had eaten. Alright, so that leads us to a second principle, and that is that all texts are not alike. Okay, Different literary types, different forms. Alright, we're going to move on to grammatical context, but let me stop and and uh, see if you have any questions on what we looked at so far. Bill. Uh, this morning I was looking at Philippians 1, uh, no, excuse me, chapter 2 and, and uh, verse 12. And Paul says, work out your own salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the next verse I think again, context is important because the next verse it says, yeah, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Yeah, and you can get your, Yeah, that's that's a great example of how you can you can just take out a text out of its context and use it to to make it mean what you want it to mean. And lots of of people do that and and, and I I say lots of people, but we tend to do that. Uh, as well with with certain texts, and we have to be careful about that because that doesn't that doesn't uh, that's not faithful to the author's intended meaning. That's what we're getting at here. We want to find out what the author intended. Uh, again, it's not fair for people to misinterpret what we said when that's never what we intended, and it's not certainly not fair for us to do that to God. All right, grammatical context. This third one. Oh, whoops, getting ahead of myself here. The difference between uh, the original language of a biblical book and the language of readers today creates more obstacles for interpretation, and uh, but these can be overcome by using these rules of interpretation. First, inter- interpret every biblical text in the light of its original language. Interpret every biblical text in light of its original language. Okay, what languages were th- was the Bible written in? Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of what? Aramaic. Aramaic. Okay. So, we have those three languages. So, um, this is going to be a little bit difficult because we don't know those languages, right? So, so we have to rely on a good translation of the Bible. And I actually recommend that you rely on, on multiple translations of the Bible. Okay. It's good to get one that you're comfortable with. I'm not saying, you know, bounce around all the time, but when you're doing a study of the Scriptures, it's good to see what the other translations have to say. That way, you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew in order to understand what the author's intended meaning was. Look at the other translations because these guys are scholars. They've looked at the text for hours, the specific verse you're looking at or passage, and they've debated over what they should put in the text, and different people come on different sides. And so, 
um, if you look at the whole of them, okay, what, what are they saying as a whole? And if you get several good translations, you often get back to the original idea of the, the original language. All right. Now, one factor to bear in mind is that um, the Scripture speaks in one voice. Okay, God does not contradict Himself. God has written the entire Scriptures through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, if He's written the entire, the whole of Scripture, then we should expect that He won't contradict Himself. So, that means that Paul's not going to contradict what James is saying. Uh, that means that that Moses is not going to contradict what uh, Ezra is saying. Uh, God does not is not contradictory. That means that there's one voice being spoken for the entire the entire uh, scriptures. Secondly, we need to interpret every biblical text in in light of its larger logical units. This is kind of what I was getting at a little bit earlier when I said you need to understand the whole purpose of what John is saying. Okay, that's a large context. Think of the largest context. That is the whole Bible. Okay, how does John's purpose for his gospel to show people that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, how does that play into the larger purpose of the Bible? Okay, well, God's trying to show in the entire Bible that He is the King of all kings, that He is God, and that there is no other, and that He is bringing everything into focus so that people will glorify Him. Well, obviously, we see how John's purpose plays into the Bible's purpose. But inside of John's book, we have smaller sections. This is what I was talking about earlier, where you have a section where he's showing that that Christ has gone to the Jews with His miracles to prove that He is the Messiah. Then he moves on to the next section, basically to show that the Jews rejected Him, so he goes out to the Gentiles and starts working with them. And then finally, the Jews catch up to him and he's killed and crucified. That's kind of the last section of the Bible. So which section are we in? You you look at the text not in terms of just the words you're looking at, the one little verse you're looking at, but in terms of its larger units. All, all communication is spoken in propositions. Okay, It's spoken in sentences and then paragraphs. And inside the paragraphs is a larger section and then a book and then the whole Bible. So, you work your way out and, and see what the purposes are there, and that'll, that will help a great deal. Uh, some other, um, uh, another principle here a text only has one meaning. Okay, this is what I was talking about how it's important for our understanding of theology. A text only has one meaning. There's not two, two ideas. Okay, he meant this, but he also meant this. There's only one meaning. Um, so we should interpret difficult passages. Here's another principle that we need to understand when we're doing this. We're looking at literary or con- uh, grammatical context. Interpret difficult passage in light of those which are clear. So have you come in your reading, your your personal Bible reading, have you come to a passage that's difficult? Say, well, this is a hard thing to understand. Peter said that of Jesus' teaching. Peter said that of Paul's teaching. That this is a hard thing to understand. Well, when you come to difficult passages, go to the ones that are are more clear, that are clearer, and uh, and those usually hold uh, a greater amount of weight in that sense. Not that it's any less inspired, but but we got to be careful about hanging our whole doctrine on a difficult text. 
there should be again since God's speaking in one voice he should have there should be proof or or validation that that is actually correct the uh final principle here under grammatical is interpret each biblical book in light of its overall biblical context i already talked about that so we'll uh <clears throat> Recognize that all these books are written inside of a a larger section of the whole Bible. So, so how does that play into it? So that leads us to our fourth principle, and that is the Bible communicates one unified message. The Bible communicates one unified message. Now, it's important to work through the Scriptures in this way, at least to understand them in this way, so that when you're under the sound of preaching and teaching of the Bible, that you recognize where the, that pastor or teacher is coming from. Okay? Um, it will help you to hear better. It will help you to read the Scriptures better. If you can start to understand, okay, this is not what I mean by the text. This is not... We often say, well, this is my opinion, or we sit around and you know, small groups, and uh, we take a look at a text real quick and go, okay, this is my opinion as to what it think. What do you? How does this? What does this mean to you? Well, technically, that doesn't really matter. What does it mean to the author? That's what we're trying to find. Now, that takes work. I mean, for us to just say, well, what does this mean to me? Again, Exodus fourteen fourteen. It means that I need to get in choir. But, but, uh, but, what did the author intend? Is that what he was talking about? Was he talking about me trying to? to drum up my vocal cords so I could uh, get up in front of the church and sing no. All right, so so what does it mean to the original author? And that's going to take a little bit of work, but it, but I think there's lots of great tools that, that we have out there that are that can help us in this this endeavor. And so I um, don't be overwhelmed by what we've looked at today, um, but but be encouraged that that people have worked hard to make good um study Bibles to help us in this way, and that that there are men who preach the Gospel faithfully. They're trying to get to the point of the text. And uh, that's why uh, at our church we put a high regard for expositional preaching. That is, that we find out what the, the, meaning, of the, te- the meaning of the sermon is from the meaning of the text. We draw out what God is saying. That's what we seek to do anyway. We draw out what God is saying from the text itself. Not okay. Let's see what the top ten um, the top ten items are in in the news world or in Christian society. Let's look at those, and then based on those, you know, top ten items, let's pull that and let's look for a, a place in Scripture where we can make this fit. There are lots of churches. You, you might have been in churches that do that sort of thing, but that's um, and there can be some faithfulness to the scriptures in that, but but that also can be very dangerous. So we have to be careful about that. And that's why what we seek to do here is to to go through the scriptures, um, section by section, show you what it looks like, so that so that like we're talking about this morning in Revelation 14 with the Battle of Armageddon, you don't just have no context from which this is being spoken of. You, you recognize what's already been said in the first 13 chapters because you've been here for those. And, and you've seen what John is trying to get at in his Gospel. He's trying to show that, that Jesus Christ is going to win and that, that He is the King of kings. And we have hope as Christians. and so We ought to persevere. It may not feel like 
like we're winning right now. Like we're, it feels like we're on the losing end of the battle. But, but because we see that larger context, we can now put this, this difficult passage really, because it's uh, it's talking about some horrific judgments that are going to come. Um, we can put that in context of what John is trying to say. All right, so that that plays into how we're going to look at scripture, um, whether we're going to take the scriptures at its word or whether we're going to okay we've got to be careful about this but putting a double interpretation on it and that's that's where it plays into the dispensational versus covenant theology all right any questions or thoughts all right good i hope that review was helpful um we'll get back to uh, dispensationalism and look at salvation. How does that play? How does that play in when it comes to the different? We said there's seven different dispensations. How does salvation work in each of those? Aren't they? Are they all the same? Um, is God offering the same salvation? Is He changing the gospel from time to time? We'll answer that question. Those questions when we come next week. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, help us to faithfully interpret Your Word. We know that we are not perfect, and we. Uh, we, we can't always interpret it correctly because of the blinders that we have on, because of our pre-understandings when we come to the Scriptures at times that are not helpful. Um, we know that we have uh, sinful ideas and habits that keep us from understanding it rightly, that, that really cloud our vision. So we ask for your help when we in, uh, engage in this task. We pray that, that we would be like the Bereans who are searching the Scriptures daily to see if, if what was being said by Paul was true. Um, Lord, Lord, it is work. It requires effort, but it also um, is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for your help as we engage in this task. Give us the, the attention and the focus that's necessary even in the service to follow to be able to uh, see where the author is coming from so that we can uh, understand what you are saying to us correctly and that we can apply it to our lives. And we do this to glorify your name, to bring honor to, to who you are and show, you, uh, show ourselves and others the worth that, that is due to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.